Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. You guys ready for, for uh, Suicide? Susan. Dude, I still don't know how to say that. I think we should spend the episode talking about that. How do you actually it's, it, it's Susan. But let's uh let's talk about that PTSD article. Which one? Uh FDA approved it. Neurofeedback for PTSD. Oh well wow. FDA creates neurofeedback intervention for PTSD. Look at that. Voted Kraft, co-founder and CEO of Gray Matters Health. It's from July 20th, so that's two weeks. Huh? Yeah. R- Ruth Is Lanius. it Ruth Lanius' thing? Uh, no, but she's obviously the one that's been talking it up. Canada's way yeah. ahead of us. Have you had her on the show yet? Ruth, yeah. Nice. Her and Seaburn. Cool. And it's Marie. Marie. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Marie. <laughs> yeah, let me just get things in order here. Marie, I've been reading your book, and um, I've been one of my uh, colleagues. Shout out to Katya Slotkova. She just got her QEGT certification. Um, Great. She recorded pre, during, and post on an individual who was watching YouTube shorts on her phone. Yep. And we looked at the EEGs and uh, it was interesting. I was thinking of you changes in basically like it was a total disconnect frontal lobes. Yep. Like this person just had alpha everywhere frontally. They also had a very unique and sort of not a typical brain. So mm-hmm. they weren't the great, uh, interesting subject. They had a lot of beta spindles, like at baseline. It's cool what you're doing. I'm loving the book so far. Great, great. No, thanks. No, the um, <clears throat> the deregulation of, of alpha is your primary marker, but there's there's yeah. too much. So, yeah. yeah. I hear the book sales have gone up ever since you came on the show, Murray. Oh, have they now? Wonderful. That's what I heard. <laughs> In an extra great. quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's about it with books. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, you see that? that? That's the, the obvious, yeah. Uh, Jail pop in whenever he pops in, but M- Marie, did okay. you see that article on PTSD? No. Nikki, tell us about this article. Well, you just told me about it, Pete. So I know. Uh, now way, to, way to defer responsibility. We're paying uh, it forward. No, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm just reading about it now. Apparently... This the first thing that came up was Psychiatric News, Volume 58, Issue 8, from August 1st. Apparently, there's something in here about the um, approval of neurofeedback by FDA for PTSD. I haven't found a section within this issue about that, but that's what a news article is um, is quoting, anyways. So we'll post a link to the article and hopefully now one day insurance will pay for it yeah that should be a good sign right we've known for ages and ages and ages you know the blunting of of alpha that's your ptsd 
you know, air quote signature. Um, you know, when you see that you have unprocessed trauma, I don't know why this has not become, you know, not just on the radar, but the number one treatment. Uh, there's so much we can do when we see that signature. And, and to us, it's black and white. You know, two people have been through the exact same um, horrendous scenario, and one gets marked with PTSD and the other one, you know, doesn't. It's a, it's a processing issue, right? It's not how severe the event was. It's how your brain was capable of, again, I'm going to air quote, getting over it because I hate it when, you know, I'm not necessarily therapist, when family members and friends say, just get over it. You know, the brain is clogged. The brain is, 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 is the crank has, um, has stopped. It's nothing you could, well, I'm not going to say nothing you can do, but you need some help if you have that alpha slam, that alpha blunting. So you mean you can't just talk therapy your way through it every time? <laughs> now, what a question. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, when you have that uh, that affect uh, or effect, uh, the alpha blunting, these are the clients that do not respond to to talk therapy. There's There's a, you know, a neurological... Uh, blockage going on. There's a an, an electrical signaling uh, that needs help to unstick. Um, now, complementing with talk therapy, you bet. But my um, my experience when we encounter this, no talking. Um, well, that's all that talk therapy is, right? You just compliment them and say really nice things. Oh, you're oh. so beautiful and intelligent and resilient. Well, I, you know, I mean, I know we're being a bit humorous and facetious, but there's some truth to that. You hold somebody's okay. hand. Right. But which is fine if all they need is handholding. And for some people, that's all they need. They need to feel validated, heard, handheld and on they go. I'm not against talk therapy if it works. But as I said, when you have this this cog in the brain, when you have that alpha blunting, in my experience, excuse me, <clears throat> it's not going to work. So that's where I it, Pete, I think I've talked about this before. I use, um, you know, vicious sexual assault. Um, on, on females. They've told their story so many times um, and they, they can't um, process it. And each time they tell their story, they get mentally reassaulted. It's harmful. It's hurtful for them to retell their story. So they come into to me and other you know qualified neurotherapists. I say, you don't have to say a word. I know you've been through something. I know you've been through something really severe. Let's get you hooked up help with the, the the alpha release, when and if you would like to talk, I'm here. And I give them, you know, free liberty. I said, if I see you come on my roster for a, a one hour counseling session, I know what's up. And generally speaking, somewhere between six and 10 sessions, this happens, the person comes in and it's like this purging, this, this vomiting of the story with, with emotionality, and they're done. It's released. You know, that's the verbal trauma release. There, I'm not really counseling. I'm the last witness of the PTSD. Uh, well, the vet, yeah, the, it, the military's been using it for a while. It's been working for our vets. So, yeah, would yeah. you think eventually? And then we we've had Ruth Lanius on the show from Canada, and she's mm -hmm. uh, one of the leaders in PTSD. You know, to, we'll put a link to the show right here. Yeah. Uh, she's been talking about it a long time. Oh, you got the moves there, John Travolta. 
Yeah. You do look like John Travolta now, Nikki. I, I like this look, man. Really? I like. I don't this get look. John Travolta ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, you did um, today. That guy from Scrubs, Zach Graff. Uh, I get Christian Bale, but that's a little flattering, I think. Well, that's um, <laughs> our subscribers just yeah. went up. So, so Nikki, give us our background. Uh, tell us about yourself. I, I really want to hear about Susan City, uh, the, the whole yes. nine yards. What what what's been going on with you, my friend? What's been going on? When did we last talk? Um, what is it? About a year a year ago. I just want to say to close the loop on the conversation with Mary. I don't want to be throwing therapy under the bus. And actually, my partner is a psychotherapist. Way to, way to cover yourself. And yeah. Yeah. Don't don't get mad at me. See, I see a lot of you know. Is it should we do therapy or neurofeedback? And I'm like, well, you know, we can do both. They don't contradict each other necessarily. They're they're supportive of each other, and we can get better results from our talk therapy when we liberate the brain patterns. And vice yeah. versa, some people who are doing neurofeedback would benefit from some time verbally processing what's going on. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. I don't think any of us disagree, but I think the EEG can help inform uh, the the balance of what type of complementary um, therapies, including um, talk forms. Hello, Jay. Howdy, Jay Gunkelman. Say hello to Nikki Whitridge. Yeah, I think you know him. <laughs> just a touch, yeah. He was the old guy who wouldn't get off the stage at the yeah, last that's me, summit. That's me. That's me. You know? He was the one without a PhD, no credentials. He's just up there talking. What the hell is anybody <laughs> listening to me for? You know. So, so, so Jay, what what we uh, what we're talking about is that article on PTSD and the FDA. That's uh, that's pretty huge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a moment. Yeah, and he's he's tucked up next to me here on the couch. That's well, on the beautiful kind of double wide Tell, chair. Share, share the share the story. You got a new pup. Yeah, we had to put down our fourteen old uh, Vishla, unfortunately, and it's yeah, devastating, devastating. And yeah. we realized we kind of needed a pup, so. And Renita had looked uh, about four or five years ago when. You know, Sam had had a bit of a health crisis. We thought we may have to find a, another dog, and she looked and kind of like Ridgebacks. And uh, so we, uh, about a week after the passing of Sam, uh, she found one for a rescue in Southern California. So a day's drive down uh, out into the middle of the nowhere and eastern edge of Southern California, and uh, and then uh, drove him home on on a Sunday. John John Friday back Saturday. Sunday was really the first day, a little over a week ago, that we had him, and he's yeah well intentioned and um, real calm. Um, and he, unfortunately, he doesn't snore, so nobody's going to know that he's on my lap. Typically, uh, <laughs> Sam snored. Everybody who consulted with me knew Sam was on my lap because he was snoring. So. <laughs> Anyway, but uh, yeah, Sassoon City was fun, and uh, I I was on the stage a fair amount, but I did share it with others, you know, um, uh, that there was a certain amount of demand to have me up there, so, um, you know. Was there now? <laughs> no, account, no accounting for taste, you know. <laughs> 
Well, it'd be nice enough if we knew somebody that had something to do with the Susan City deal in October. You know anybody, Jay? Uh, well, you know, I think there's a planning committee out there somewhere. Nikki's involved in, you know, Sherry Johansson. You know, go ahead, Nikki. Just uh, tell them the the grinding detail of the planning. You know, it's it's, it's always yes, it's terrible. We have to meet <laughs> all three, all four of us, great friends, and talk with each other over Zoom. Um, it's yeah. great trial and tribulation. Someday they'll build a you know a statue for us or something for all our suffering. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been exciting. We have we have an even more stacked list than last year. And, um, and, and a so really this is cool a, this is a gathering. This is a gathering in October. The gathering. Of, it's a place of, you, the person listening to, could even be at in person. In fact, and, there's and, still and tickets I'll, I'll be, left. I'll be I'll be pulling up <laughs> with my GoPro. Yeah, he's going to be there. Park, yeah, Mario's going to maybe be there. Mari's hoping to be there. We're, we're we're moving the clinic. We've been in our location for 25 years. Ooh. And oh my, talk about going through history. So, um, but uh, I would love to be there. I hope to be there. Well, it would be fun. You know, I, I can't travel. So basically around my birthday, uh, this would be what? I think the fourth time I've had an event like this, but three of them were formal. Um, and we, we just take over the yacht club, um, which is big enough to hold 80 people comfortably and you know, the audio visual people and, and have it enough of an open air uh, sort of a setting. So you don't feel like you're in a, in, in a uh, sauna super spreader event or something, you know, um, we, we, we did have, um, you know, major speakers, Rusty, uh, Ron, uh, that, uh, you know, that the, the content was not anything to disparage last year, but this year we've got Dirk DeRitter, uh, MD, PhD, neurosurgeon and neuromodulator and generally fun guy. Um, and he's going to pop in from. I think he's coming in from Belgium on his way to New Zealand. He works in both places. Um, uh, uh, quite, quite a commute, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, uh, I'm i an old friend of his and, and asked him to pop in. And he, he said, anytime. You know, so we, we have yes. him in for this. And Martine Arns from Europe and, um, and all over. Uh, Martine does the educational uh, programs for NeuroCare Group, uh, which is out of Munich, um, and uh, they do TMS, uh, neuromodulatory techniques, TDCS, um, and uh, they, uh, they they're uh, practice management. They buy clinics and pay off the owner and hire the owner to run it, not to not to do the advertising and management or anything, they handle that. Uh, the, the therapist basically just does the therapy and doesn't have to worry about, you know, where the clients are going to come from and all that. They manage the clinics. And um, they, uh, they, they've uh, cherry-picked all the really major clinics in Australia. They've hit uh, a lot of major ones in Europe. Uh, they've picked up a handful of them here in the USA already. Um, and the you know, they're a predatory 
groups that want to kind of dumb down your protocols to make it easy to manage or something. And they don't even make you have to own the equipment that they would end up having themselves. They, they basically, uh, if you have a TMS machine, you don't have to buy one that they uh, tell you to use. Um, uh, if you have a neuro, neuromodulatory technique, you can continue to use that. They're, they're, um, they're old money in Europe. They're not venture capital uh, in the same way normal venture capital is. So, you know, if your spreadsheet doesn't look good for the quarter, it doesn't change their five-year plan, you know? So uh, it's an interesting group. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm retired, so the, <laughs> the, uh, I'm, I'm not a candidate for them picking anything up. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, but they're old friends of mine, and uh, I, uh, I, I know uh, the, the quality of their work. Uh, Martine is... Uh, well, uh, if you look at the list of publications under his name, it goes on an arm and maybe a leg long. Um, there are a few, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, he's and they're they're really quality papers. You know, you, um, it's easy to just turn out a, a you know a little super simple thing, but he does complex uh, papers and meta-analyses. He's worked with Sandra Liu for meta-analysis on neurofeedback for ADD, ADHD, and meds, showing actually that ADD was equal to or better than meds. And um, that's UCLA psychiatry department for Sandra Liu. Um, and then obviously Martine uh, is, is an old, old friend of mine because when I wrote the phenotype paper, he read it and thought, damn, I don't have to worry about diagnosis. This frees me up uh, uh, to work with people without having to uh, worry about the DSM being outside of a realm of something that I could work with or something. I can work with the EEG and the phenotypes. And, and he tested it. You know, it was a retrospective. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. He's a good scientist. And he looked and said, well, we have to prospectively validate it. And I would be invited over to a lecture and I'd walk in the door and there'd be a stack of EEGs and QEGs for me to go through. And that would end up being a publication um, uh, that how does the phenotype predict stimulant use in ADD was with the first one. After that, we did one on depression with 126 uh, depressed and match controls, um, you know, big papers. Um, and, uh, you know, we had met at a BFE meeting and actually uh, were assigned to kind of babysit, uh, make sure Dirk got back to the hotel. Uh, it was kind of a loose uh, social event and uh, Barry Sturman kind of had to quit uh, consuming and, and get back to the hotel before he fell over. Um, so, <laughs> uh, uh, and our, our assignment was to get Dirk back to the hotel and, 
and so we were hanging around Dirk talking and uh, uh, Dirk asked the both of us, do you, you drive a car? And, you know, yeah, yeah. well, do you have a license? Oh, of course. <laughs> do you have a license to practice, you know, what you're doing here? And Martine took that seriously and he actually got his PhD off of that. Now he did a PhD that's like five in one, you know, and I, I get consulted on PhD stuff by students all the time. What do I do for my PhD? And I always try to cut it down, cut it down, make it something mm -hmm. you can actually finish and graduate. You know, don't solve all of neuroscience in your damn project, leave some for the next guy. So, um, yeah, he, he didn't listen to that. Yeah, and he he published uh, a small book as his dissertation, uh, with with really five separate projects uh, in it. Um, but that's him. I mean, he takes on gigantic tasks and polishes them off, and I, in a way that's really hard to replicate. So having him there is going to be a real hoot. Um, and again, he's really down to earth, easy to approach. Um, you know, there's no, you know, space skivvies where you think your ass is out of this world or something, you know. So he's he's a real, uh, a real solid guy. So um, uh, uh, people are, are um, uh, easily able to approach him and ask questions. And, and he's got a lot of answers. I, I've got to say that. So, Nikki, and, when, when, when is this event, Nick? Yeah. Um, so we are starting on the Thursday, the 12th of October. We're asking people to arrive Wednesday. We have our check-in at 8.30 on Thursday with Jay speaking at 9 um, and Dirk speaking at 11. So uh, it goes from Thursday through Saturday and then Sunday morning. Um, just like last year, we're going to have a group discussion. Uh, last year, we had Dr. Regine Eichler-West um, organizing our publication, which is in neuroregulation, if you want to check that out, see what the last um, year's summit was about. And this year, uh, I'm going to be uh, facilitating that along with Sherry. Um, so we're going to do another publication this year, and we encourage people to book their flights later in the day on Sunday or even on Monday, especially if they're interested in that part of the summit, um, which is a really special and cool part. It's cool to have a lot of fun over a weekend and then get to sort of get in your group of people who are interested in the same similar thing you're interested in and write something up about it and get published. From a guy that just sits at the bar and peeks in with his GoPro, seems to me like it's the uh, upper echelons of neurofeedback people that all get together and you do consume the information, I'm, I'm guessing, from Martine and, and Dirk, but when you guys go on break or at night, you all get together and you share information. I think the networking piece and sharing the, yeah. the knowledge is a big, big part of it. Is that right, Jay? Yeah, I, and it's quite a network to tap into. You know, um, uh, I, and, you know, quite honestly, most conferences that you go to the person on the podium is presenting stuff that's two or three years old because they had to be found and invited, which means they had to have published or somebody has to have known about their work. So it's got to be at least a few years old for people to know and to invite them. So where do you get the newest stuff? Oh, in the hallway 
on the breaks, in the bar, uh, out on a walk. Um, you know, the, and the, the fun thing about this little teeny tiny town that I'm in is it's all walkable. Uh, uh, the, the yacht club, the hotels, the downtown with the restaurants are all uh, easily walkable. This is not a, uh, this isn't something where you got to uh, get an Uber to go five miles to go to a, to a restaurant or something. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a quiet little town. Uh, you can cross the street without worrying about being run over. Um, <laughs> you'd be lucky to see a lot of cars go by. So, um, it, it, and the Yacht Club is really a nice facility. Uh, we're going to do a, 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 a real a good dinner um, and party. After all, it's my birthday event. And, Damn straight. Um, uh, uh, if, if I can't throw, and, and nobody pays for the party. I know there's a lot of meetings. you got to pay extra to go to the party or something. Uh, I, I'm putting on the party. That's not a, this is not a big uh, out-of-your-pocket uh, you know, thing. Great, great uh, music too. <laughs> well, we, we intend to have fun and good science. And, you know, when I ran the meetings at ISNR eight out of 10 years, I would plan a really good party and then invite my neuroscience friends from all over the world to come over and party with us. And, oh, by the way, you got to do a lecture, you know, um, <laughs> and it worked really well. I mean, uh, uh, the first year I did it, there was 75 paying people at the meeting in Aspen, 97, 1997. And the last one I ran was in San Diego and they had over 500. So, uh, um, you know, it, it grew, uh, um, you know, you've, you've got money in your pocket enough to go to a couple of meetings a year, but not a lot more than that. Cause you got to run a practice, you know? So, uh, Later in your life, you're going to have to make a choice of where you go. If you've had a really damn good time at one of the meetings and you've got a pan balance of which meeting you're going to go to, it's my vicious plan to classically condition people to like the event. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, I'm just a, a nasty guy. So um, it's, it's all, all these vicious plans of uh, treating students really well so they like the, the meeting and the society and, uh, that sort of thing. Nikki, how did you get started in neurofeedback? Because it seems to me you were a student working your way up, and all of a sudden now you're planning the Susan City Summit. Say that three times fast. What is your background for the new users and listeners and, and viewers that are checking us out right now? Yes, for the new neurofeedback users. Um, <laughs> uh, drug reference. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, uh, you're on... Your own, your own podcast uh, has has them on here. You know, it was like I got connected with Keith uh, Van Dusen pretty early on, and I don't think you've had Douglas Daly on. Um, but uh, yeah, I was a DIYer. I found out about it on Reddit on the Joe Rogan Experience, and had some issues I wanted to work on, and wanted to try something different than the traditional psychiatric medication route. And um, fumbled around with technology that I had no clue how to use for a solid three to four years, and then realized that it would be helpful to consult with some people who knew some some things. <laughs> and uh, that's how I found Pete. And, and later on, 
got connected at the Neurofield conference uh, immediately before COVID, um, like weeks before COVID hit was the first in-person conference I went to. Um, and that was just exuberant, finally connecting with the nerds who were nerds like me. <laughs> and uh, got to meet Joe Castellano, RIP. Uh, Joe passed a couple of years ago, but was very much a connector and a champion of um, people with his level of passion, which I had, although not his level of expertise. Um, and he got me connected with Jay, and uh, he started a study group, which still lives on today, the Onto Innovations Group. Onto Innovations slash Back to Basics was kind of the title, I think, of one of the originals you see in some events, yeah. which I wasn't there for. I've been doing the Grand Rounds with Jay, also with Dr. Mary Tr Tracy through EEG Strategies. Um, and I've been working with Yuri Kropotov as well on sort of his methodology for interpreting ERPs and, and, and looking at EEG data. So yeah, the student, and uh, I, I think uh, it's a lifelong endeavor being a student, and I hope to never yeah. stop. Well, it's, it's a, a mountaintop that has no top. It's a learning curve that keeps going up. Um, yeah. uh, once in a while, you see somebody who says they're standing on the top, and you got to kind of work, you know, steer away from them. Um, uh, that it's an unknowable topic. Um, you can have a good piece of it and find other people that have pieces of it to network. And that that's the only solution. A brain can't hold inside of itself an understanding of the brain. It, but a, that, that's impossible. But a network of brains can hold inside the network a definition of a brain. So you, you just have to create a network of like-minded individuals that have you know, depth in you know, adjacent areas or overlapping areas and uh, a form a, a, a network of folks that you can consult on. You know, I, I, I've got questions about uh, uh, nutraceuticals or something. There are people I can talk about uh, that with. It's, it's not something I have to know myself. And, and there, you know, every silo next to every other silo is so deep, it's pretty hard to know them all. And uh, one of the best things I know about Dirk is that I've never found a topic that he doesn't go deep in. There's a lot of people in the field who know their area, but as soon as you start to talk about something a little outside of their specialty, they, they don't have that depth anymore. And Dirk is as deep and wide as anybody I've ever met. So, uh, but you know, he's, he's a unique character. and had done a lot of validation studies for the infralow frequency folks. And um, uh, uh, he's uh, used machine learning algorithms to identify thalamocortical dysrhythmia, one of the topics he'll be talking about, which is a cross-frequency coupling, uh, actually neuroplasticity gone awry, like phantom pain, tinnitus, mm -hmm. movement disorders, reward deficiency things, including eating disorders, some forms of affective regulation, OCD. Um, All and, the toughies. <laughs> yep. And then uh, he's also going to be talking about the triple network and the dynamics between the default and the salience and the executive network. Those three networks dynamically run the brain in a large way. And uh, understanding the, the how, how to flip between default and salience 
using neuromodulation. Um, and that's a big one. You can find somebody stuck in salience. You turn on the EEG, the eyes closed, and you see no alpha. <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're still focused in salience. You know, um, you know they if they get tired, the little bursts of alpha happen. But um, that person's stuck, and you've got to be able to flip them out of their salience into default mode, so that when they close their eyes, they can actually be at rest, not still on. I mean, you should be able to idle and recover. Rest and recover is important. And if you're stuck in, in salience, it's, it's pretty hard. And it's, it's, you know, trauma will you know, stick you in salience sometimes and uh, uh, sometimes alter your default as well. So uh, understanding those networks and, and the dynamics of them will be important. <laughs> he's, he's, you two are, are, are uh, designing the party now, though. Um, <laughs> but if I could uh, just make one little comment, um, uh, uh, going just a few comments back about one of the things I adore about our collective profession, and I also think why we attract so many good people, is it's always moving. You know, if you expect to get your education, get your degree, get your equipment and not learn anymore. <laughs> You're in the wrong field. Uh, but, you know, we, we attract and, and those people kind of drop out, you know. Um, but uh, it, if you have that that passion and that desire for continued learning and contribution, this is the field. And you mentioned, Jay, the community um, that was immediately obvious to to me and many others when but when you come to our conferences you know, you're invited in you know yeah. Yeah. it's not an issue to go and talk with the the presenters you know there aren't these nice little protective walls around people people want to teach people want to share and that that's beautiful and i, I think jay you're a leader in terms of making um that part of the community so thank you <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I say, I always I always planned a very good party, and that's a good way to mix groups. And if and you, you party some. together, it's pretty hard to end up having that hard wall between the, you know, yeah. people that believe this kind of feedback is the only thing to do, and the ones who think this kind of feedback is the only one to do. Pretty soon they are. Actually are you talking. saying on air that wine is the solution? <laughs> well, actually, perhaps, it is. Yes. Perhaps a little wine, perhaps a little bit of something else too. You never know. Um, Alpha you know. training. Nick, you're Nick, you're a student. I'm at, coming in uh, soft with my comments here. So, Nick, you're you're a student at Saybrook, and you have Saybrook Saybrook University. You have University of Texas San Antonio with with, with Mark's program. What do you see with uh, the the new kids on the block coming in, getting into neurofeedback? Are they starting off in psychology and then getting into neurofeedback or like the other people that you're working with on the planning committee? I'm sure they're students as well. They were students. Yeah. Um, so on the planning committee, we have Rebecca Walker, who's actually now uh, an alumna of Saybrook University. So hats off to Rebecca. Um, she's now working with the iSync folks, iMedisync folks. Um, and then it's Sherry Johansson, who runs Gray Matters Neurofeedback. So she's definitely a veteran in the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have a very small corner of the world that I operate with. So I'm not going to speak for, you know, all the students in, in the whole in the whole field. Um, 
And, you know, I think it is an interesting question. You know, demographically, the field is definitely represented by people who, you know, oftentimes have had a first career in psychology uh, or, you know, talk therapy and have, you know, uh, after they've sort of gotten their start in that, have then come to neurofeedback. Um, and of course, you know, the, you know, the BCIA requirements, if you want to have that sort of clinician level, level of certification, in some sense, you know, funnels people in that way. Um, so I think, you know, students in neurofeedback are coming from a, 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 a lot of different places. And, um, and, and I think we, we need more uh, places for students to come together. I mean, I, I want to in some way help contribute to that, like, like Joe did, you know, to support students. And um, I'm starting my own podcast in, in the beginning of September to, you know, try to highlight what some of the younger people are doing um, on the more kind of technical side of, of What are they doing? And, that was the question. What are they doing? Well, I, I, they're doing all Break sorts of stuff. Break it here first, I mean, Nikki, come on. I, th I think for one, people, people are trying to figure out how to get into the fields and if it's like a viable profession. Um, is it? And, is it a viable profession? I, I think it totally can be, you know, and, and I think a lot of the, you know, the developments that are happening in the field are really encouraging. Like the fact that an article just came out and that the FDA is now, you know, I don't want to have rose colored glasses. I'm sure that insurance companies will still find a way to, you know, deny coverage, but, um, but uh, there are definitely encouraging trends. Um, I think it still takes sort of like a savvy person to do neurofeedback well um, in, in an ethical way and uh, in a way that is, uh, you know, supportive of like a business life. Um, and some, you know, obviously those things can be intense. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. ...with each other. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't have the answer. I've, I've had some professional experience myself. And if there's one thing I've taken from that uh, is that there's a lot of different approaches to neurofeedback. And the younger generation is getting exposed to a level of education and, and um, a, a breadth of experiences and expertise that in some sense make them unideal candidates to work for other people. Um, because uh, everyone has their own, you know, passion and, and excitement about particular things. And it can be a tough pill to swallow that you're sort of working under someone else who wants to promote a particular style. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't have the answer. I haven't, you know, I haven't made a well, big in this field. Well, here, I'll, I'll make an ob observation that I've seen is you, if you ask Dr. Marie, she'll say, you got to get your psychology degree first, then learn your neurofeedback. Then you'll have the tech side. Oh, no, no. No, I mean, I think if you're uh, in your youth and you're just entering, go parallel, go parallel. Um, my beef is individuals who have no knowledge of anatomy, physiology, medicine, no knowledge of the brain, 
buying you mean a psychologist hanging, hanging a shingle and calling themselves a neurotherapist you know the alternative medicine i mean these are the people that can harm people um and obviously give our uh, profession a, a really bad rap um i think if if you want to get into this you have to have a passion for people and a passion for the brain if you're just in this for the money no Okay, um, but you also have to have a passion for learning, as as we were saying, that the the ball is always rolling, and you want to be happily running beside it, learning about how it's moving. Um, yeah, you have to have passion. I'm I'm I'm, I'm repeating myself, um, but I mean, I think there are two uh, types of individuals um, that are attracted to our practice, and one type. Oh my gosh, we support, we support, we support. I mean, when I have a student contact me, I have no issue, you know, spending, um, Zooming, chatting, um, feeding um, their passion to see, so they can decide whether this is for them. But I have a big issue uh, with with people who, who self-label, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say pretend to be, uh, to have the, the science um, and, and, and the knowledge, um, and who, who are not interested in, in acquiring it. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it's a simple one, but one of the things we, we also have to do is honor our beginnings. Um, and Jay can perhaps speak to this because he's a living example. Um, I'd say the, the, the second beginnings, so this would have been, you know, late seventies, early eighties, a, a whole bunch of people with passion, um, and I think that was the the central component, the central juice. Um, and some people had, you know, wallpaper up the yin yang, you know, in terms of the qualifications, and other people didn't. But everybody had a passion for learning, a passion for sharing. Um, and I think people also had a passion for it wasn't about the money. It was about, you know, doing no harm and helping yeah. people. Jay, do you want to go a bit Wait. further? We've, we've talked a little bit about the, the professional therapeutic psychologist, neuropsychologist, counselor, uh, licensed mm -hmm. uh, approach. We, we also have people who use neurofeedback in sports performance, and yeah. that's a whole different branch. We're going to have Santiago Brown coming over from uh, Singapore to do a talk this year at, at the Sassoon Summit. Um, and, and that, again, that's it's a it's a different approach um you know sue wilson um uh, vienna uh, uh, sue wilson has has uh, been in that area of it for a long long time uh, we we go back so long ago together it's sister sue and brother jay you know um uh, we, we tease each other about coming from north dakota and montana the, the two states always make fun of each other they have joke books same joke book different label you know um but the, um, you also have people in the field that are into consciousness research and, and consciousness studies. Um, and that, that's a real broad, broad, broad area. Uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's, a, um, it's a tricky area because uh, there are some people that are charging gigantic amounts of money to tell you you can become like a Zen master and uh, weekend or something and it's you know eighteen thousand dollars later you know after you spend that much money you 
you better think you got something out of it, you know. Uh, but it, um, it, it, you know, it's it's state versus content. I mean, if you learn the state of a Zen master, perhaps, but it's not the content. You're you're not a Zen master at the end of the course, you know. Um, and the the same one kind of meditation isn't necessarily good for everybody. Um, you know, there's uh, concentrative meditations for those that are a little bit spacey or ADD. There's uh, transcendental meditations for those that are kind of overwrapped and need to kind of loosen up some. I mean, there's there's totally different approaches, and uh, uh, the the people that are in that area uh, have you know good depth. Uh, uh, Richard Davidson's lab, having worked with the Dalai Lama's monks, have uh, shown us that it isn't like the 70s. Um, uh, Jim Hart's PhD looking at alpha with with the uh, Zen meditators. Um, well, it, it was still on paper. You know, <laughs> what do you get off of a paper EG? Paper cuts, you know, <laughs> ink <laughs> on your on your clothes. I mean, that, um, you know, and, until Davidson looked, they didn't think that gamma was part of, you know, meditation. It was consciousness. People kind of talked a little bit about gamma and binding and whatnot. But um, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, the the old approaches were just missing um, the the richness of the high end of the frequency range. And gamma on paper is not that easy. <laughs> to, Gamma on paper is going to look kind of like 60 hertz thickening of the line unless you really speed up the paper. And in the United States, we didn't really ever make a machine that would go that fast. So you could see the gamma ripples. Uh, there was a, a, a Swiss, excuse me, a Swedish uh, device called a Schonander. It could spit paper out as fast as you could run. And uh, and you could, you could make a spike about a foot and a half long, you know. So... Um, uh, it, it was a way to look at high frequency EEG uh, stuff. And uh, uh, UC San Francisco Med Center had one for uh, research experimental purposes. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so, yeah, the, uh, the clinical people have uh, great depth in that area. Uh, the, the consciousness people have better depth than they had before, but it's still, you know, it's still an open area to kind of, work around in and obviously sports uh, ends up uh, combining heart rate variability peripheral peripheral to who you know i mean it's yeah. it's still biofeedback for the person you know it's not they don't consider it per peripheral it's still part of them um but eeg electrodermal heart rate variability muscle i mean all together for sports um and it, it's integrating uh, things like that that end up making uh, the sports physiology uh, so important. And it's shown to be effective. I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, uh, the World Cup, uh, uh, the, the Italian team won after using the brain room or the brain uh, uh, stuff from Thought Technology. Uh, Canada won the Winter Olympics with uh, really heavy-duty biofeedback, neurofeedback. Uh, the, the first gold medal from India was after uh, a biathlon. You know, they, they, they what, ski and then shoot. Um, 
and uh, uh, to shoot, you have to slow down your heart rate and shoot in between beats. And an HRV training uh, with their biathlete, uh, they, they got a gold medal after that. So the, the sports physiology application for biofeedback and neurofeedback is tremendous. And at this point, look at all the traumatic brain injury folks that can end up being benefited with training to end up you know, helping to try and save the brains that have been battered. So, you know, our field is, is as broad as your imagination can make it. Jay, um, Jay, can you go into the PTSD article that just came out in the FDA? That was pretty huge, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't gone through the article itself, uh, but they, they basically uh, uh, have seen the uh, fMRI uh, uh, details. Uh, um uh, Thomas Ross um, and uh, Ruth uh, Linnaeus um, and their publications. Uh, PTSD and trauma are a big, big topic, and the the effectiveness of neurofeedback in that area has basically been seen well enough by uh, the, the FDA that they've approved it. Now, what else has been approved for neurofeedback for FDA? That's ADHD. Mm-mm. That's it. Mm-mm. Migraine, Nothing. relaxation, alpha training for relaxation. If you're a manufacturer, that's the only thing you could talk about. Now you could have an educational body that wasn't part of your company, and they could talk about all the clinical applications that we actually use. But the manufacturers were regulated by the FDA, and they could talk about relaxation, and they didn't really. They talked about their specs and whatnot, and they let the educational groups do the education about the clinical applications and other applications. But Jay, this so, is pretty huge, right? It is huge. It is huge. You know, um, the Alpha STEM group has a whole list of things that they're approved for that they've they've done the research and publishes and uh, applied through the FDA and and you know there's certain standards that you have to meet for the quality of the research. And I think if we had um, a manufacturer that had enough money that they thought they could get back from it, uh, they'd push for ADD, they'd push for epilepsy. Those both have solid efficacy literature. Uh, the, the ADD, ADHD, um, uh, affective regulation, uh, th- those are getting to be you know, probably efficacious and efficacious. The uh, APB just came out with a brand new uh, set of uh, practice standard guidelines as to uh, what uh, applications have reached what level of support um, uh, for for efficacy. And I think they've got 40 something uh, different clinical application areas that uh, end up having uh, their their uh, uh, white papers or uh, update on on efficacy. You know, that dates goes way back. Uh, Don Moss was president of AAPB. Forgot some damn reason I was president of ISNR. You know, that, that every once in a while a group makes a mistake, you know. So uh, I was president of ISNR at the moment. And, um, and I, yeah, you, know, you hear somebody say, oh, I can treat that. Whatever the discussion was in the background, oh, I can treat that. And I'm thinking, based on what? You know, where's the where's this research that can show that you can even think about treating that? I mean, you might consider that you're treating it, but 
we, we have to have standards for what we claim. You can attempt much, but claim little. And uh, there was lots of claims and very little support. You know, it, as an example, insomnia. Back at that time, people were saying, oh, yeah, we can treat insomnia. And people were treating insomnia well with uh, uh, SMR and a little bit of beta sometimes. And uh, the... Uh, uh, but if you're called on the carpet in front of your licensing board and, and they ask for the efficacy literature, what would you hand them? Oh, Sturman found that if you trained SMR, the cats had a denser sleep spindle. That's cats. You can't use that for efficacy literature. Uh, Lubar had a toss away discussion in a, in, a, uh, in a paper on ADD treatment for kids. And oh, by the way, they reported they slept better. Well, that's not efficacy literature. It wasn't until 2005 that Salzburg, Austria, uh, turned out a, a, an insomnia uh, paper with control group, and it was replicated in Graz, Austria. Um, and uh, that you know, at that point, you have to have at that point you have some control studies from a reliable, mm -hmm. not a manufacturer, but from an academic center, uh, and if. You, you wouldn't actually be drawn and quartered on the carpet that you were called on. You know, um, you actually have some support for what you're claiming. So Don and I decided that we had to get both societies together to form a committee that would set up standards that we would have for our own applications because the Chambliss criteria for APA was probably efficacious, efficacious, and then specific meaning it's better than any other approach as specific. Well, uh, you know, our techniques needed a little leg up. And so we put up possibly efficacious, then probably efficacious, then efficacious and specific. So that the ability to kind of step up on the hierarchy of quality of evidence was, was there. So we, Don and I formed a committee which didn't have us on it. We, we created a, an academic committee and they came up with kind of like the Chambliss criteria, what kind of structure, what kind of study do you need to make a claim? And if it was anecdotes, it was still experimental, but if you had some randomization, uh, uh, some uh, crude control, uh, um, then you started to move up the hierarchy. And, Jay, uh, Jay the, the FDA, I mean, this is, again, this is huge. Can we make a claim? Can we say treat, you know, all those, cautious words we've had to use in the past like what what can we tell somebody about neurofeedback and ptsd what is the language we can say now if the, the, same, the same thing that we have been saying except if you're a manufacturer now you can say it <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, you know the fda regulates manufacturers and their claims their, their written material and and, and their, their device and the records they keep about their device and how they fabricate the device and how they examine the parts that went into the device. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they, they go through and uh, make sure that your good manufacturing practice certification is still good. And you're, you're still up to snuff on your standards of manufacturing. So they, they take care of the manufacturing. They do not control the clinician. Uh, the clinician can take a, um, a, a device and use it for something else. Uh, but a manufacturer can't make a claim. Now, and 
it's a little tricky. You know, if I'm a manufacturer and I'm making a scalpel, but I'm calling it a screwdriver, you know, oh, this is the intended use of this is as a screwdriver. But everybody who buys it uses it as a scalpel. The FDA is going to come to me and say, you know, your intended uh, application isn't the actual intended application. And uh, you, you've got to meet standards for scalpels, not screwdrivers. So uh, there, at some point, if the, if the discrepancy between claims of relaxation only and that, that everybody uses it for lots of other things is so discrepant, uh, that they'll come in and start to look at it. Now, they may look at it and say, oh, well, okay, yeah, the ADD that you're doing is okay. We'll list that as well. But it, you, you pretty much have to apply and show them the research on it in order to get them to uh, um, to add a new, uh, a, a new tool to our tool belt, which has relaxation and PTSD in it right now. Uh, you know, but we use, we use the technique for, you know, everything it's used for which is really quite a broad range. Uh, it's great that the, it's great the FDA uh, opened up on PTSD, but it, it, it's, it's a shame that we haven't pushed other applications like the Alpha Stim device has, because we have a long list that we could probably have. What do you think would be next? <laughs> Epilepsy, ADD are the two with the strongest research behind them. Uh, after that, affective uh, disorders, uh, obviously PTSD has already made it in. Uh, can but, I ask a quick question? Because we're, we're running out of time, Jay. If if the efficacy is better for ADHD, why didn't that get approved before PTSD? Application. Profile of somebody who's using it. I mean, they, they, they were using fMRI instead of EEG feedback. Okay. Um, and, you know... Um, uh, 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 Rebecca uh, on the planning committee just yeah. went to uh, a, a, a meeting on neuroimaging. There were thousands of papers. There's only a handful of on EEG. Who's there? FDA's there looking for clinical applications, and they've got thousands of papers to go over. And oh, there's five of them over here on the EEG. Must not be that important. <laughs> so. Um, you know, it, it, it takes time and uh, investment by manufacturers to get things approved. It takes money to do that. Now, there's some corporations now, like iSync has got money, um, that they're, they're, not, um, they're not a bootstrap startup uh, like all of my companies have been. Uh, uh, they, they, they actually have you know, millions of dollars in the bank from investors and uh, got out Dave Burkus. Yeah, Dave Burkus. And uh, they'll, they'll do an IPO at some point And all the people who have little bits of that company are going to end up with a big chunk in their pocket. And, um, and they'll be even more well funded. But they're they're busy with high level applications trying to predict Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, myocognitive impairment um, that, uh, um, yeah, that I, I think it's an ideal approach for screening um, high school athletes um, and uh, uh, pro athletes. Um, actually, Becky Basham has uh, gone to a high school somewhere uh, in the Midwest, and she's doing 
uh, EEGs and somebody else is doing our ERPs preseason, and they'll do it again postseason. And uh, th these are high school. Uh, they're they're trying to track uh, uh, head injuries from that level, not necessarily even college and then pro, uh, because it's the number of whacks and uh, the the significance of the whacks not just the fact that you got a significant concussion. There's a concussion protocol, but there's no protocol for the lineman who gets hit upside the head every damn play. You know? um, you know, whack, whack, whack. They become, that can't they be become a podcaster. <laughs> Dr. Swingle, did you uh, have anything you wanted to say before we close out with Nick? Yeah, I just wanted to make kind of a, a, a comment consolidating what um, Jay was saying, that I think the key thing in our field is that the tech, the weight of our practice, the um, the technology and the clinician are, are equal. They have to work in tandem. Um, and if we feel technology is going to do it all, no. Um, and if you have a, a qualified clinician who thinks they can do it all without you know, knowing the technology, no. And I think we get ourselves in trouble when we forget about that really delicate uh, interconnection of, of the knowledge and the technology. And as Jay said, sure, you know, you can have a night, um, it can be applied in education. So the knowledge then is educational. It can be applied in sports psychology. So then the knowledge is somebody who knows something about sport, somebody like myself, you know, with um, psychology. So whatever that complement is uh, of knowledge has to work with the technology. Nick, so Nick, Nick, you've probably got some presenters that we haven't mentioned, like Ron Swatsina talking about meds and others. And any highlights that you think should be popped up as a as an also uh, at the meeting? Well, I'm just gonna pop up one because we don't have time to talk about all of them, but it's a joint presentation by Michael Villanueva and Peter Gass, who are kind of like a clinical neurofeedback slash computational neuroscience uh, duo that really gave a, a beautiful and thought-provoking presentation last year called Art of Dimension. Uh, and another one, I'm forgetting the name of the other one, but um, they have a fascinating talk they they went down to mexico and did um eeg studies on a group that were uh, undergoing a five meo dmt treatments um so i i don't know much about it other than the abstract that they submitted but uh one of my favorite things about the conference last year was this sort of inclusion more of people who are coming from the the more hardcore science computational neuroscience background and and really Bringing, bringing our worlds together. So I'm really excited for that this year. And um, Nikki, you had me at hello. How do I buy? How do I buy a ticket? How do I get in? Where do I go? What do um, I do? Yeah. So if you Google Susun Summit 2023, um, you will or see use the, this link. Yeah. Or use the link <laughs> in the video. Uh, it's it's being hosted on the Gray Matters Neurofeedback website, which is Sherry Johansson's website. So okay. check that out. We still, we have less than, 20 in-person tickets left so it's filling up we're capped at 80 hard because uh, it's a it's a yacht club it's not a convention center um great so bar, great bar it's a great time great sign bar. up and there will be there will be a live stream if you miss out on the in-person tickets um but 
I recommend the, where, the where's the, where's the live stream from last year? How, how do we get into that? Can we buy that now? Um, yes, you can. And, um, we're going to put a link out for that as well. Um, Dr. Mary Tracy handled that. Uh, I think it's just by emailing her currently, but, um, Okay. But yeah, before this before this podcast goes out, we'll get a we'll get a link to that um, so that you can have somewhere to go for last. And it's years. not and it's not free. It's not free. No, it's not free. But, um, we got to fund But it's quality. It's, uh, quality. Three, it's quality. Three days of video. You know, I I think being there in person is so much more um, rich. Uh, you can ask your questions and. Um, uh, interact face to face with all of these folks, and uh, you know that it, it's not that easy to end up with that kind of a venue. Uh, it's a small, personal, uh, intimate venue. It's not uh, a giant lecture hall where you, you don't know who's sitting in you know ten, fifteen rows over. Uh, this everybody's uh, close, and um, it, we, we do have. Um, uh, uh, live stream that's going to be uh, done as well. But, you know, watching video for three days isn't the same as being there. I mean, there's a certain amount of stimulation of having folks around and the break time and, and whatnot. It's important. And we also have a hell of a good party. Uh, it's, you know, a, it's a, it's a networking, Jay. You don't get networking yeah, from the yeah, stream. Yeah. It's, so and it, if it, it, the prime rib dinner doesn't taste very good online, you know, so <laughs> the music's the same. <laughs> Jay Gunkelman, Dr. Marie Swingle, Nikki Whitridge. Thank you for another fantastic episode. The Neuronoodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 